Warning! Warning! Today's episode contains spoilers. So if you have not seen the movie or TV show that we are talking about, we highly recommend that you watch it first, then listen to this episode. Thank you. What kind of a sick school is this? Surely you can't be serious. I am serious, and don't call me Shirley. You got spunk. I hate spunk. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Oh, righty. How you doing? Back off, man. I'm a scientist. Don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Say hello to my little friend. I love to celebrate from in the morning. What are you people? On dope? Stop whining. I got a crap on deck that can choke a donkey. Hey! Who is your daddy? I'm sorry, but all questions must be submitted in writing. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Can I do that? I'll be back. A dynamite! Show me the money! Don't! Up your nose when you have a phone. A what? I'm sailing! I'm sailing! You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it. Pull it down. Love means never having to say you're sorry. Here's looking at you, kid. We got no food. We got no jobs. Our pets' heads are falling off. Go to the coast. We get together. Have a few laughs. Hear that, Elizabeth? I'm coming to join you, honey. I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV. I love it when a plan comes together. What we do is if we need that extra push over the cliff, you know what we do? Put it up to 11. 11, exactly. One louder. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to 11. We're on a mission from God. Hello and welcome to our Then Is Now special 2020 Christmas episode. I am your host, Rigor. We're going to cover a great Christmas movie today called Rare Exports from 2010. And folks, if you haven't seen it, you really should. It's on Amazon Prime as of this recording, and I believe it's on Hulu as well, I think, so I'm not sure about that. But while this movie does involve Santa Claus, it's a very rated R movie. So uh, unless you want to pay for years of therapy for your kid... I suggest only uh, adults view this film and then listen to the podcast. The film explores the origins of Santa in an original and unique way, and it's definitely a cult classic already. So sit back and get ready to learn the dark secret of Santa Claus. Class is in session. I have a bad feeling about this. How could I possibly be expected to handle school on a day like this? Food fight! Hey, you in my class? I am today. I think you should consider transferring to shock class. Woo woo! Now, now, very few students are severely injured in shock class. Bueller. When you were in school. Bueller. Did you ever cut class? Bueller. Yeah, I guess I did. Sure, most kids cut classes. Good, sign this. Um, he's sick. I get so lonely when I hear that third attendance bell oh, ring and all my kids are not here. Seven years of college down the drain. Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, son. You lack discipline. As long as I'm here, there will be no grades or gold stars or demerits. 
We're gonna have recess all the time. Woo! Go, play and have fun now. Okay, folks, today I am joined by newcomer to the show, Jack Gorey. Now, Jack and I previously recorded an episode in which we discussed the 1979 film Alien, and that is in the queue to be aired. However, since Christmas was fast upon us, we decided to record this show and release it on Christmas week before we released our Alien discussion. So welcome to the be- welcome back to the show, Jack. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Glad to have you here. Yeah. So today we're going to discuss the 2010 film Rare Exports, a holiday horror fantasy film from Finland. Now this is a film that our listeners should know about, and if you haven't seen it already, you really ought to, because uh, we're going to spoil the heck out of it. So, get ready. It's the most magical time of the year. When traditions are honored. And the youngest among us still believe in the spirit of the season. We found something else than just plain rocks and dirt. This mountain is like a giant ice box. For storing what? Drill deeper. Bear the dynamite. You have a grave to rob. We have Santa Claus. Selitä sille, että... Meillä on täällä pukki myytävänä. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. And he doesn't give up. A British research team from Sub-Zero is taking drill core samples on top of Korvatunteri, which means ear fell, in the Finnish province of Lapland. The fell is believed to be the home of Jalupaki, a figure in Finnish folklore that helped shape modern-day versions of Santa Claus. When the excavation chief makes a startling discovery of sawdust deep within the mountain, the elder American financing the dig is ecstatic. He requests that the men keep excavating, but also demands that they uphold certain rules that are printed on some cards he gives. The excavation chief laughs at them, which includes the caveats, no smoking and no cursing, but the American angrily demands that he is dead serious that the rules are to be followed. It becomes clear to team leader Riley that the entire fell is an ancient burial mound built by the Sami over centuries to conceal and imprison something. Two local boys, Juso and Pietari, watch the team at work and eavesdrop in on their discussions. They run to Juso's nearby snowmobile, quarreling about Santa Claus's existence as the team begins to excavate the fell using explosives. 
Pietari returns home to read some books about Santa Claus, which suggests that he was a horned being who whips misbehaving children and boils them in a cauldron. The day before Christmas Eve, Pietari's father, Rauno, a local reindeer slaughterer, digs a trap pit in the yard to protect the remaining reindeer in case of wolves. He wakes Pietari up by throwing a snowball at his window and tells him to prepare for rounding up reindeer herds with the other herders at the electric reindeer pen. This year, there were only two skinny reindeer runs, so Rano and the herders go to a glacier by Corvantantari. When they reach there, they find the remains of hundreds of reindeer that were gnawed to the bone. It looks like the explosions that have been going on at the fell for months have driven the wolves in the area mad. Rano examines the carcasses worriedly. Farther away, Pietari too examines the traces and is convinced that it's not the work of wolves, while Juso warns him not to tell his father that they cut a hole in the fence. Rauno's reindeer slaughterhouse has been on the brink of bankruptcy for a long time. The attack of the wolves seems to be the final straw, but Rauno has one more chance. He heads to Corvantunturi to demand retribution from the Sub-Zero company whose personnel were killed for provoking a mysterious new threat by their rude behavior. On the top of the fell, all Rauno and his group find is a pit 400 meters deep and no trace of the Sub-Zero personnel. It looks as if something was lifted from the depths of hell. Having lost all hope, Rauno returns to his farm. On the morning of Christmas Eve, the trap has worked, but instead of a wolf, there's a naked old man trapped in it. Even though Pietari was grounded for playing a trick with his father, for using reindeer traps in the fireplace, he has been full of fear of the approaching Christmas, like an animal sensing a more powerful beast in its territory. He sneaks out of his father's house to a police truck with his disappointed father in hot pursuit. They reach a village where Rauno hears from other villagers that potato sacks, heaters, and Piperinen's wife's hair dryer have gone missing. Pietari enters Piperinen's house and finds that Piperinen's son, Juso, is gone with a straw dummy in his place. Piperinen brings a sack which contains the skinny old man and leaves his inactive body on a table in Rauno's reindeer slaughterhouse. While he, Rauno, and Amo discuss their plans, Pietari calls his friends on the telephone and finds that they have all gone missing. Piperinen teases the old man with a piece of gingerbread and the old man bites off his ear. Piperinen comes out and asks the other two men to come and see the old man. Pietari asks his father to spank him for his bad deeds, such as prying open the fence to Covantur as he fears that the children's bad deeds might have caused Santa to take them away. They are interrupted when Piperinen tells Rauno to come and see the old man again, as the old man is strong enough to break a metal bar. When Pietari enters, the old man is attracted to him as he is a child, and the men must defend Pietari from being harmed. They dress the old man in Piperinen's Santa costume and message the Americans that they have found Santa Claus. They take the old man in a cage to an airbase where they meet Riley. Riley warns that the old man in a cage is not Santa Claus, but one of Santa's helpers, or elves, and that they must not behave rudely. When one of them mutters a curse word, the other elves, which look like naked old men, destroy the electric lights and kill Riley and his pilot. The men in Pietari run to Hangar 24 where they find a horned being in an enormous block of ice being melted by the missing heaters. Underneath the block of ice are several sacks containing the crying stolen children, including Juso. They are attacked by the elves who attempt to break into the hangar. As Rauno, Piperinen, and Amo disconnect the heaters and use them to block the elves from the doorway, Pietari devises a plan. Piperinen comes out of the hangar and distracts the elves by throwing gingerbread at them so he can reach the helicopter. The other two men make a net which Pietari climbs on as it picks up the sacks of children to lure the elves to the reindeer pen. The other two men place explosives all over Santa Claus's ice block and cut off his horns, before fleeing the hangar in a truck. Pietari climbs down the net of children and an antenna to open the reindeer pen as the horde of elves run towards him. Rauno and Amo detonate the explosives, killing Santa Claus and causing the elves to stop at the reindeer pen before they can hurt Pietari. The helpers stop as if coming out of a trance. 
Having herded them all into the enclosure, Pietari has counted over 198 helpers. Soon the men in Pietari find a silver lining in this. With less than a year to go, the 198 helpers are cleaned, groomed, and taught to act like Santa Clauses for department stores and other festive occasions. The men call their business venture Rare Exports and ship off the helpers in crates to various locations, for a price, naturally. So, Jack, when did you see first Rare Exports, and what's your first impression? I remember catching this uh, when it first came out now 10 years ago. Um, so I remember just being excited with the the idea of, you know, I love any horror-themed Christmas movie, um, and this was right up my alley. And, yeah, it lived up to the expectations, too. I was pumped when this came out and saw that it was getting good reviews, well-received. I went into it expecting a low-budget film, and surprisingly, as the movie goes on, you kind of get this Spielberg-esque type of movie out of it it's you know the cgi and it's great the herd of old man elves is great um a lot of it actually i did end up really getting kind of a spielberg feel out of the whole movie you know with the kid kind of saving the day you kind of have these et super eight type vibes out of the movie absolutely absolutely i didn't uh, actually see it when it came out i hadn't really heard of it till about four or five years ago i think i read about it online and i quickly sought it out because it just it just sounded really good, and I remembered loving it. when we, I think we did watch it around Christmas time, uh, like I said, probably about four years ago. And I haven't really had a chance to revisit, revisit it until this past week. So I have to say I loved it even more this time around. Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, anybody that hasn't heard of it or they just need to you know, get over the subtitles and really commit the time to watch the movie. In fact, I watched it. Um, one of my uh, stepsons watched it with us, and he, he was probably like – 11 or 12 at the time, and the, the subtitles didn't bother him at all because the movie was just so good. The naked old men might, but yeah. <laughs> the subtitles won't bother you. Besides, besides that, yeah. <laughs> so this movie was written and directed by a guy named Jalmari Haylander, and he's an award-winning director. He directed um, the original short films called Rare Exports, Inc. in 2003, and its sequel, the official Rare Exports, Inc. safety instructions in 2005. And those shorts are basically what he used to expand into this feature-length film that we are discussing today. Our audience probably won't know most of the movies he's made, as they're mainly from Finland, uh, especially with the actors. But I did want to point out that Jorma Tamela, who plays Rauno, uh, he's actually, in real life, the father of Ani Tamela, who played the boy Pietari. So I thought that was interesting. Really? Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. I think the only movie I saw, they were in a movie with uh, Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> and I've never seen it. It's called Big Game. I'm like, wow, no, they worked with Samuel L. Okay, yeah, yeah, I saw that on the on the IMDb, but I haven't heard of it either. Um, so just to give our audience just a quick little background info here, they refer to the, the mountain or the hill as a fell, and that's sort of kind of a high and barren landscape feature. It's, it's basically a mountain or a hill covered with moor or moors. And um, the Sami that they, they refer to, they're the indigenous people that lived in the Finland-Norway area thousands of years ago. And they're the ones that uh, we find out in the film that perhaps captured the original Santa Claus and entombed him in a case of ice and buried him in the mountain. So they, the mountain is, I, I've, I gathered from the film, the mountain was man-made. Yes. Yeah, I, was, I forget the name of the people. I think they actually explain the indigenous people that originally yeah made that mountain yeah they're called the sammy s-a-a-m-i yes that's it 
And I thought we had an interesting setup with the American drilling company, the Sub-Zero. Well, it was a British company, Sub-Zero, but the American guy is the leader. And so I like the fact that it starts off with, with English and English-speaking characters, and it has English spoken at various points in the film. I, th- I think that's a good... Um, that illustrates good foresight on the director's part to sort of appeal to an international audience. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was surprised, too, when it first started. I said, oh, there isn't subtitles. And I said, oh, wait, just give it right. five minutes. <laughs> What's funny is normally I watch things with subtitles, whether or not they need them, just because it helps me, you know, catch characters' names or hear things in the background that you wouldn't ordinarily pick up. But this time around, I had to shut them off because every time a character would talk, their dialogue would appear at the bottom. But then it would a dialogue would appear over it saying, you know, man with black hair, man with white hair or the character's name. Right. So I wasn't getting the dialogue. I had to I had to shut that off. So I I liked Riley, the guy, Riley, the American in charge, because he he walks into the film already with knowledge that Santa Claus is somehow in this in this mountain. And they don't really explain that. But it's pretty funny how he, as I said in the intro or in the synopsis, he gives out these cards to the workers with instructions telling them, you know, don't smoke, don't swear, don't do this. And it's all stuff to keep you off the naughty list. <laughs> yeah, that's the interesting take on the whole thing. And, um, you know, Piatari believes in Santa, uh, good or evil in this movie, too. So, you know, you have to kind of buy in um, just like the kids do with Santa where this guy already knows that, like you said, he has information on it. He understands the concept of it, which is interesting how he would have come across knowing kind of the rules and buying into this naughty list uh, concept. Right. Right. And a lot of what the, what um, Pietari discovers when he, he's reading the books about the origins of Santa, they kind of hint towards the Krampus legend, but they don't really mention that in here. I think the closest we get is the fact that, the Santa that's in the block of ice has giant horns sticking out of it. And that that's all we really get on the, the Krampus end of things. Right. I know. I always loved the Krampus story. And that's, um, you know, that those origins go way, way back. It's just kind of funny how, like, in that area of Europe, they knew about it. They've known about it all along. But we didn't really hear about Krampus until, like, less than a decade ago over here. Right. So, And there's one shot, too, of Riley when he's standing on the mountaintop giving his men the instructions... And it was just so beautifully shot. I mean, this this whole movie was beautifully shot. I just loved the landscape. We, you don't really get to see that kind of landscape in movies. Right. So then, you know, of course, we're introduced to Pietari and his older friend, Juso. Juso's really mean to him. He's just like, kind of bullies him, but he takes it. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, he has to. He has to be bad. Uh, at least let on that he's bad as he gets taken, you know, about halfway through the movie. So That's true. That's true. Yeah. And I like that whole underlying thing. Once, once Piet, uh, Pietari realizes, you know, the the ramifications of actually being on the quote unquote naughty list, he's terrified of Christmas. He's afraid. He even he has got one of those advent calendars on the wall, the cardboard ones, where you you open up each day. And when he gets to the twenty fourth, he not only tapes it shut. At one point, he staples it shut. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'll stop it. Yeah. So, and almost like he's trying to stave off Christmas. Like it's like, if you don't look at the danger, the danger's not there. So if you don't, if you can't open the twenty fourth to become the twenty fifth, then Christmas won't happen. You know, in his mind, I would imagine. Right. So we've got the adults. You've got Rauno, who's Pietari's father, and uh, Pipperinen, who is Juso's father, and then Amo. And I thought Pipperinen looked a lot like because he had the dark glasses and the beard. He looked a lot like the Norwegian guy from the beginning of 
John Carpenter's The Thing, the one that was shooting at the dog. Yep. Yeah, he does, actually. <laughs> so it's kind of got a little bit of a, of a Thing vibe, especially when they find the old guy in the in the pit trap and they pull him, put him on the table and then open up because they had him wrapped in a tarp and they open the tarp up and that just reminded me of that scene in the thing where they pulled the body from or whatever it was from the um the Norwegian camp and opened it up. Right. So then we get um you know like like I said they um only two deer show up so the the adults have to go and find out what the heck happened to them. And the fence they find the hole in the fence which barricades the drill site and it's not only a fence for the construction workers or drillers whatever you want to call them but it's also kind of serves as the Russian border. So uh, I looked at a map and they were obviously on the eastern or maybe even the southeastern side of Finland because that borders Russia, but the western side borders Sweden. So geographically, that's where they probably would have been. And they figure out that the deer would have garnered them $85,000. I don't know exactly. Like, they don't really explain what they would have done with the deer. I mean, do you know anything about that? Are are the carcasses or the antlers worth money? Yeah, I wasn't sure if they were using the meat, if maybe they eat reindeer in that that area. I was trying to figure out what the benefit was for selling reindeer. Cause yeah, and then at the end with the, you know, the Krampus-like, um, what do they call him, the Julapuki, when they yeah. take his antler store at the end, too. The right. Time to uh, show they preserve the horns from him, which I think was interesting. To, it was interesting. In the uh, excitement of everything, they go, but wait, because I mean, behind the thing is profit. You know, it's, it's a they're a family that has you know very little money, just trying to kind of get by, um, and in the end, uh, make them profit. Right. You know, that's a good point. I mean, you could see it going further, where if they were to sell those, or at least make the public aware of those giant horns you'd probably get a lot of not only scientists but tourists coming to the area to find out what the heck is going on so they could they could create a tourist trade there right <laughs> so and then you know pietari's got this running guilt because he feels bad about having cut the hole in the fence and you know juno of course threatens him basically saying i'm going to i'm going to beat the crap out of you if you tell your father about this so you've got this right well i mean even at at one point at one point, he wants to be what he wants his dad to like whip him, or yeah. like basically hit him, or what he did, hoping he's to stay off the naughty list. Right, right. Especially when he realized that all the other kids are gone, he's just like it, it, it's building in his mind. And what's great is that the kid is such a good actor because you can totally see it in his face as the movie's progressing. You could see his fear just building and building in his mind. Right, and again, that's kind of where I got that you know Spielberg vibe of you know the kid who who's in danger you know the parents don't really believe him and he ends up being the hero at the end too it's not just the adults that kind of save the dates that he goes from this scared little boy to all of a sudden he's on top of this you know big net hanging from a helicopter hovering above a bunch of old men rushing towards him oh yeah he becomes the hero and he's he's giving the orders to um um I forget who it was that was in the helicopter. He's giving him the orders through the radio what to do. And he's telling him, he's basically telling them to treat them like reindeer. And finally he gets it to, the, the pilot gets it to um, the concept that he's got to be herding them into that pen. Right. I know they put full faith in him. 
by the end of it. Yeah, which was interesting because the father was kind of ignoring him through the whole movie, and I, I almost wonder too that like now they gave us a moment where, uh, towards the end, where uh, Pietari stops and he looks at the explosives and he's thinking, and it's very rare in movies when they give a character a moment to figure something out, and I, I loved that moment in this movie where he kind of formulates the plan of what can be done, and. We didn't get that with the father because, but he had mentioned to the father earlier when he said he wanted to be to be spanked or whipped or whatever because of what he had done. He also told him that the children were missing. And I think the father sort of maybe filed that away in his mind, and it, but he wasn't really paying attention to him. So it didn't really register until they actually find the children in the potato sacks. And I think at that point, the father was like, well, it sounds like he knows what he's talking about. We might as well let him <laughs> tell us a plan. Right. I mean, yeah, it it really kind of speaks to, you know, all these movies like, um, say, It or Nightmare on Elm Street. You know, kids are disappearing and the adults don't believe it. And uh, they kind of have to buy in once uh, the reality really sets in that it it is true. And, you know, it's not just folklore. Right. Absolutely. Because, like, it's cool watching Pietari throughout the film as he's putting the pieces together. Like, he, he saw footprints on his roof, which he thinks those were Santa Claus. And then when they're looking at the dead reindeer, he kind of lifts part of one of the carcasses up and he sees a human, a bare human footprint. Doesn't say anything, but you know in his mind he's thinking, oh, shit, it's Santa Claus. <laughs> right, which you, it is interesting why he didn't bring that up to the adults, too. And they're all right there. He kind of keeps it to himself. And I kind of wondered why, why he would keep that to himself. I know, I know. I think he was he was still in fear of the fact that he had helped put the hole in the fence, so he didn't want to get blamed for it. Maybe, right? You know, either that yeah, or and he knows. Go ahead. And I think he just knows the effect that that has. You know, he's the reason that all these how many reindeer? I forget how many total reindeer that they had died. Was, oh yeah, like, over a hundred. It was, yeah, it was like, uh, they, they said it, it was like 300 and something. Yeah, so, I mean, that that's the whole livelihood was that. And you know what, getting back to what you said earlier, I meant to say, they probably were selling the meat as well, because I think people do eat venison. I know people around here that have gone hunting, and they'll kill a deer and then, you know, use the meat as food. Right. So, yeah, so their whole industry was basically... <laughs> you know, going to belly up if they didn't do something, which was cool because then you get to the point where uh, Rano had had put the wolf trap and they caught one of the, the helpers. And at first they think he's an American guy because they find his uh, a wallet and a jacket that he must have stolen from when they killed the um, the workers earlier in the movie. So they think he's this American guy, but they say, oh, he's 60 years old. And when you look at him, he's clearly like way older than 60. And then they find his radio and they hear... Riley on the radio asking where I, I don't know specifically what he said I don't remember but it was basically he was looking for Santa Claus and Rano gets the idea to dress dress the guy up as Santa Claus and barter and basically you know to keep him hostage and demand the money that they they're due right yeah, yeah. it's uh yeah it, it is funny how he uh kind of thinks ahead and all he starts dressing him up like Santa Claus yeah Hey, cats and kittens, do you remember the 50s jukeboxes, hot rods, malt shops, and sock hops? No, not really. Oh, well, do you remember that TV show Happy Days? You know, Fonzie and Richie and all like that? A, sit on it, etc.? Kind of. 
Then join us for These Days Are Ours, a Happy Days podcast where we watch every episode and give you the lowdown on what it all means. Find us at thesedaysareours.libsyn.com and follow us on Twitter at Fonzie Podcast. Be there or be square. You're sure you don't remember Sock Hops? Sorry, no. Okay, then. Hello, this is Rod Barnett. I'm the host of The Bloody Pit, the podcast that examines films from across the decades. On The Bloody Pit, we have several ongoing series of shows within the show focused on specific things in genre cinema that I and my co-hosts find fascinating. There's a long-running series focused on Italian maestro Antonio Margheriti's films from the 1960s all the way up through 1990. There's an on-again, off-again series focused on 1970s science fiction films. There's an in-depth look at the Western movies that William Castle made before he struck out on his own and became the horror auteur that we know and love. A look at the classic Coffin Joe films from Brazil. And our long-term project to look at every universal horror film made in the 1940s. That's a long project, people. It's going to take us a long time. Sprinkled in amongst those are various other episodes focused on other stranger areas of cinema, like uh, Lucio Fulci, Dario Argento, and even some obscure British crime films from time to time. So join me and my rotating crew of co-hosts as we examine the stranger side of cinema through an exploitation lens. Except when we don't? Yeah, you never really know exactly what to expect on The Bloody Pit. So join me for The Bloody Pit. spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Here are your hosts, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Bryce, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the Head of Rondo Hatton. Only on Monster Kid Radio. Hey, folks. I just wanted to take a minute here to tell you about the hosting service that we use at Haven Podcasts, podserve.fm. Podcast hosting has never been easier. They do all the work to get your podcast on Apple Podcasts and other major podcast networks. They help you navigate the podcasting world, whether you're brand new or have years of experience. 
Folks, I can't tell you how happy I am with their service. When I first started this podcast, I searched around intensely for the right hosting platform. I found PodServe and used their simple four-step process, and in a short amount of time, my podcasts were on the internet and available through all the major podcast networks. And their customer support is unreal. Every time I goof things up and make a mistake, like uh, posting the wrong show to the wrong feed, I email them, and I kid you not, within minutes I get a response and the problem is resolved. And they're the only podcasting host that actually helps you get listeners. Other podcast hosts stop at Podcast Upload and don't help promote your podcast. Well, PodServe makes sure your podcast is seen by thousands of people. The promotion is free, and they put you on PodParadise.com, which has over 5,000 visits a day from avid podcast listeners and is growing every day. Each day, Pod Paradise selects five podcasts to spotlight on their front page. Maybe yours could be there soon. PodServe's pricing is simple. Only 19 bucks a month. That's it. No tiered pricing platform, just one low fee. For 19 bucks a month, you get unlimited storage, unlimited podcasts, free podcast promotion, your podcasts on all platforms, detailed download analytics, one-on-one customer support. You pay month to month, and you can cancel at any time. And when you sign up, you get 14 days free. You don't even have to give them your credit card. I love their service so much, I put a reminder in my phone to add my credit card when the 14 days was almost up. I couldn't give them my 19 bucks fast enough. I'm telling you, I I really didn't believe it until I actually signed up and saw my podcasts on everything from iTunes to Stitcher and Spotify and more in a ridiculously short amount of time. So if you've got a podcast and you don't have a hosting platform, I highly recommend podserve.fm. Check them out. And that whole sequence, when they when they find the guy, bring him in, and then Rauno follows Pietari and the police guy, and they realize that Amo's potato sacks have been stolen, but the potatoes are still there, and his wife's hairdryer is gone, and the sheriff, whoever he was, he says that, oh, yeah, heaters are missing all over the town. I just thought it was interesting because then all of a sudden it becomes night. Did you notice that? No, I'll have to look back at that. Yeah, it's like... When they finally get back to the barn and, and um, what's his name, get the, had his ear bitten off, comes out and tells him it's nighttime. And I'm like, oh, well, they've been there the whole day. He was supposed to have been dressed up as Santa Claus going around, I don't know, doing some Santa kind of thing. And, and now it's nighttime. Huh, I'll have to take another look at that. Yeah. I don't know if that was on purpose. It must have been. I mean, they must have known when they were editing the film. Um, but there was one jump scare in this movie that I thought was funny when... Rauno is uh, early on. He's digging through the the fireplace, and the bear trap goes off because Piet- Pietari had put it in there as a gag, which I don't know how little kids, I guess, in in no way think pranks are a little differently than they do here. <laughs> but that could have that could have been really bad if the father stuck his hand in there and got it caught in the bear trap. Right. Yeah. There's not a like you said. It's the only uh, jump scare. It's not really like a standard, you know, horror film that kind of really loads up on. You know, it's more the idea um, of these evil Santas that really kind of just pulls out the holiday itself that it just works well. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's a totally different horror kind of vibe. But the whole thing is really, I thought, dark and moody right from the beginning, especially when you don't really know what's going on. And then, you know, the final reveal, I I felt like the plot was constructed in such a way that it works, that the whole whole buy-in to the Santa and the origin of Santa 
it it worked. So even if like let's say you you went you sat down and watched this movie and go, oh that's stupid. There's no such thing as Santa. I think by the end, at least in the reality of the film, the audience believes that the Santas are real. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because I mean, this movie kind of reminds me. You know, like you said, that they don't really allude to Krampus. Uh, they never use the name. I mean, the that other movie with Adam Scott Krampus. I mean, they just go as ridiculous as possible. Where this, I mean, it's like a slasher film. And right. The elves like are going around killing them in the toys. They're killing people here. It's the realistic aspect, and you know they use history. Um, they still use a lot of the folklore and bring some truth to it and make it a little more realistic. That kind of gives it a good tone throughout the movie. Absolutely, absolutely. And as the characters are starting to realize the truth behind it, I think that helps the audience too to to start to believe what the the concept of what's going on in the film. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing I just wanted to mention about the um, the bear trap in the fireplace scene, I felt like it was a bit of a plot device, although it worked, because a little bit later, I think when they find the body in the wolf trap, Rauno yells at, at Pietari to stay in the house, and he's like, well, why? He goes, well, because you're grounded, because he had grounded him because of the, the prank. So I almost wonder if that was there not intentionally as a scared as a scare, jump scare per se, it was more of a plot device to have an excuse to make him stay in the house. Yeah, yeah, I think they that would make sense. I didn't put it together, but now that you say it, yeah, yeah, that does make sense for him to stay in. And uh, it was interesting how they, um, Amo is able to speak English, but not very well. He could speak it enough that they were they tried to use him as a translator first off with the uh, with the helper that they found, and that didn't really work. But then when they meet up with Riley at the airport, he Riley says to them, where are my men? And uh, and Amo says, yes, yes, we're men and we'd like to bargain with you. <laughs> so I thought that was cool. I that it's it's just interesting coming from a foreign filmmaker's perspective to make a joke like that, you know. Right. And they knew this was going to appeal to, you know, well, I, well, I wonder when making it, if they knew it was going to appeal to such a more worldwide audience that it did i don't know i would imagine they, they hoped it would but yeah it's it at least it it's one of those films that they just started with a good story and as long as it works as a good story people will enjoy it and i, I think that definitely comes across here when we watch it right and i'm also shocked that it hasn't just been remade in american version straight out to try and make a little extra money on uh american sales because i'm sure not as many people in America have watched the movie or given it a chance. Right, right. I don't think it would work if they remade it. I mean, there are some foreign remakes that are, you know, remakes of foreign films, I should say, that do work, but I don't think this would work if they did it here. No, I agree. Because it would lose the genuine quality. Like, this is this movie is genuine. but It's the people who live there and their culture and their history. Right. You know, it'd yeah, be, and and like you said, the landscape too. Just it adds to the story, right? I mean, this would end up being you know Lee Majors with a machine gun at the North Pole fighting fighting evil elves, you know, <laughs> right? So one cool uh, element of this movie that I liked that they used quite a bit throughout were the gingerbread cookies, right? Yeah, I thought that was strange that they have an endless supply of gingerbread cookies, right? Well, Rauno, he like burns the the dinner or the lunch or whatever he was making, and 
and uh, P- Pietari ends up eating just gingerbread cookies. But then it comes into play when what's his name is in with the with the uh, the uh, the helper when they first find him, and he could tell that the helper is smelling the gingerbread cookies, and kind of teases him with it. Of course, that's when he leans in and gets his ear bitten off. But then it, towards right. the end, he comes out. And he's basically tasked with getting to the helicopter, which they don't really say that. I, I, like, I remember the first time I watched this, I'm like, well, what, where is he? What's he going to do? Can he fly? And then, of course, he could fly the helicopter. Uh, but he used the gingerbread cookies. He tossed them like doggy treats to, to the helpers. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I like that scene where he's when they it's interesting what gets, you know, the elves attention because they even put Pietari in the room with them and they instantly notice his. You know, first he's attracted to the gingerbread cookies. Now he's attracted to, uh, he just, well, he has the attention of Pietari once he's in the same room with him too. That's true. He doesn't really become, uh, he doesn't really interact with them until he, he smells Pietari, like through the window at first. When he's peeking in through the window, the, the helper smells him. And so that's, a, that's an interesting little touch of how these, the, you know, anything related to Santa Claus can detect children anywhere. And that's how the whole, I guess, the naughty and nice list thing works. Right. Yeah. We kind of learn the rules and how, you know, how they work along with, you know, the adults of the film too. So we're kind of observing it as the adults also. Right. And that's, there was a cool line. uh, One of the characters said where, you know, well, that would explain how he can get to a zillion homes in one night because it's not just one guy going around bringing presents to everybody. It's all these elves or helpers, whatever you want to call them, doing it as well. Right. That was an interesting take on it, because I remember even watching the trailer, I'm like, oh, they catch Santa. It's called Rare Exports. They catch Santa. And it's like, oh, it's almost a twist in the movie that, no, the Santas are the elves. Yeah, that was so cool. And um, did you notice when we actually do, we never do actually get to see Santa. He's in the encased in the block of ice. But did you notice when they were near it, there was this deep heartbeat thrumming in the background? No, but that's, it's smart that they do that. It was, it was very unnerving. I noticed it. I didn't really notice it till um, when they were at the scene where they were drilling the holes in it and putting the dynamite in. But that's when I, I noticed it. And it just really added to it a very, on a very subtle level, you know. That it was alive. Right. So, yeah. So, uh, Pietari, he basically jumps into hero mode. I mean, once once they realize that they've got this guy and they can, they've got this Santa helper and they can trade him. Well, they thought he was Santa Claus. And they could trade him for all the money that they lost in the dead reindeer. That's, to me, that's when the movie sort of kicked it into high gear. And, you know, when, when you get to watch the process on Pietari's face as he figures out the plan and they let him basically coordinate the whole thing that just was so exciting like the whole last third of the film even though the whole the whole movie's great the last third was really intense i thought right yeah absolutely once the yeah once you kind of see this herd the herd of elves coming through too and uh just ups the ante yeah it's a great it's great once it kicks off and it keeps you guessing i mean i did not i did not expect riley to get the pickaxe in his head (laughs) right you know, he's standing there, and then, boom, it's like, what the hell? Oh, my God. So they must have, one of them must have chucked it from a distance. Right. And then, you know, Pietari, he he gets the guy in the helicopter, uh, Pipperinen, who's the guy in the helicopter. I kept forgetting his name. He gets him to fly, to herd them to the electric fence, and then he climbs down because he can't land because all the kids are in the thing, and they'll just get devoured by the, the helpers, I guess. So he climbs down the, the net, jumps to a 
an antenna climbs uh, like an antenna tower and climbs down that and uh he basically says on the radio tell dad what i did and i think he was fully expecting just to be ripped to shreds by the by the elves right that was cool and of course i'm watching it going and i had forgotten how it ended went from the first time i saw it and i was like no he can't die he's the main character i'm like there's no way and then of course they blow up the actual santa claus in the block of ice and the elves all of a sudden become docile yeah it is weird kind of the connection that they have to the uh I want to. I, I'm going to like butcher these names. But yeah. Dad, what was it? The dad was Rana. Jula, Jula Puki. Oh yeah. The dad was Rana. I'm the uh, main, the main beast, the main Santa, is like Jula Puki, which yes. means like Christmas goat. I think was like the Finnish name that they had for. That's right. That yeah. Was, but yeah, it, it, you get that sense of like, just kind of how the elves are connected to Santa Claus, you know, in a typical Santa story. Um, yeah, it's weird how they're kind of tuned into that, that monster. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny, you know, one thing I didn't notice, this is kind of unrelated to what we're talking about, but I did not notice until the end of watching the movie this time around that the rare exports, well, first of all, they call the company rare exports from the land of the original Santa, which is printed on the boxes as they're shipping these guys out, which that's kind of bizarre. I mean, can you imagine getting a crate with an old dude inside it, like alive? <laughs> <laughs> Right. But well that's why it's rare exports. Right. <laughs> the logo it's a silhouette of Santa. And I never noticed that before. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, is that also the Sub Zero company logo? Do they like kinda Oh, I don't know. Like, almost become the subs the Sub Zero company. Because in the shorts too, the first short that came out in two thousand three, I thought, um yeah. and it had that logo. Oh, you're right. That's right. I think it was. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I have to go back and look at that one again, too. Yeah, so I just thought that was a nice little touch. So this movie um, made about 312000 worldwide, which is kind of too bad because this is now theatrical box office because the, the budget was 1.8 million euro, which is about 2.2 million American dollars. So they totally didn't make their budget back theatrically, but I'm pretty sure they've they've more than made up for it on home video. Yeah, and that kind of is the way some of these... They probably knew at the time they were making more of a, a cult, you know, cult fan film that pays in the long run. But, yeah, you don't get as many uh, butts in the seats at the theater. Yeah, like I said, I didn't even know this was released theatrically. I didn't. I wasn't aware of it when it came out, which is too bad. I would have gone to see it. Which I wonder how – I was curious how popular, you know, the short, short films were because I didn't know about the short films until probably actually just recently. Yeah. And it's weird the timeline of the short films, if we can touch on the short films briefly. Is sure. Part one, part one comes out in 2003, and it's about seven minutes long. Then they have part two, which is about ten minutes long, comes out two years later. Yeah. Which I find interesting. They decide, you know what, there's a part two. Uh, <laughs> two years later, they come out with another. Ten, they produce a whole ten minutes to do it, which part one's almost like a spoiler for right. the film. Yeah, that's if true. If you watch the short film. If you watch the short films, you know exactly where, the, you know, the direction of the movie's going to go. It's about marketing mall Santas and, you know, capturing them for profit to ship out. And uh, so, yeah, you kind of know that's the vibe and what the uh, end end game is pretty much of the movie. Right, right. And I thought part two was a little more complex than the first one. So I wonder if 
he was trying to woo people to to fund a movie and said, all right, well, wait a minute. Let me do this one. It's a little bit bigger and better. And this will show you, you know, what I'm trying to do here. You know, I gave you the concept. Now here's really what I can do with it, you know? Right. Yeah, it it definitely does kind of give more meat to the story. Yeah, I could that convincing that I'm saying we can't get about an hour and a half out of this. I was looking at other movies that were short films before they were feature length. And I never even knew like Evil Dead was a short film. Yep. That's Before right. it was actually produced into a full movie. Yeah. Uh, Saw was. Yeah. Even this is the end. Um, with Seth Rogen was Jay and Seth versus the Apocalypse for a short film. I was. Like, oh, that's wow. right. A lot of horror films kind of start out as short films, like I think Frankenweenie. <laughs> yep. There's a whole was, bunch of short yep. films that end up going feature I think, length. Didn't though. the stuff start out as a short film too? I think that started out. It was either. It might have. The stuff. It was either stuff or uh, Street Trash, one of those '80s gore films. Yeah, there's a lot of surprising ones. I mean, I had a, I wrote a whole list of Twelve Monkeys was District Nine. I remember District Nine being a short film, that oh, yeah. went feature length. So I guess it's a big trend uh, to, especially with these kind of sci-fi and horror films, to be short films. So I think yeah, it probably is a good marketing ploy to kind of get them to get the funding that they need to make these movies. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure specifically with Evil Dead that they did that to do that they they said okay they they made the short film and then showed it to people said this is what we can do but we need a budget to make it a feature length film right so that makes sense oh yeah absolutely it really is amazing how you can go from a short film to a feature length film yeah and especially now in the world of youtube um i could see that kind of being the direction because you can they can immediately see what kind of viewership they're getting what kind of numbers they have how popular it is what the comments are you kind of get a snippet of What's the interest? Right. I'll bet you, I, I, I probably have seen them. I just can't think of any off the top of my head. But I'll bet you, like, on something like GoFundMe or one of those similar kind of websites, people do that. They create a short and say, this is what we can do, what we need to raise the money to make a better, uh, bigger, better one, you know? And especially in horror, where typically not where the big money is. for. Uh, they probably don't want to invest too much. That's why you have so many low-budget horror films, because it doesn't get that return. I mean, like you said, this movie made three hundred and like 20,000 you said 312,000 yeah so yeah that's a tough sell when yeah. you're trying to get the funding for these movies <laughs> i know especially with their budget was 2 million so it's 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 you know it's a gamble i guess with anything <laughs> yeah but yeah this i i highly recommend this to the people out there you should you really got to see this movie i mean if you've already listened to this you already know how it goes but it's still it doesn't matter it's still a good movie what what are your final thoughts on rare exports uh, jack um, I think it's as far as, you know, Christmas movies with a twist, I think people need to watch it. And it's a great, great mix up. If, you know, my wife has me watch Love Actually, then I get to toss on Rare Exports. Nice. Or, uh, <laughs> or like Black Christmas to uh, change up the mood of the typical <laughs> holiday cheer. It's nice to go dark for a little bit. And, you know, what's the runtime for this? 84 minutes? It's, yeah, it was like an hour and 22. Yeah. It moves quick, and yeah, people, if they haven't seen it, um, definitely need to just kind of commit the hour and a half and just watch this movie. It really just has that, you know, folklore. It's almost like a Hansel and Gretel, you know, was, this monster is expected to boil children in cauldrons. You, you need some of that in the holiday season. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Jack, thanks again for joining us on this episode of Then Is Now, and um, we will be having the the discussion of Alien coming out in the next few weeks that you and I did, 
And I'm looking forward to talking to you once again more about uh, cool movies that people should know about. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Well, folks, we hope you had a great time learning about the amazing Christmas horror movie from Finland called Rare Exports from 2010. If you want to check out more Than Is Now episodes, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and pretty much wherever you can download podcasts. If you'd like to leave us a great review there, that would really help other people find our show. Also, you can find Then Is Now at our website, havenpodcasts.com, where you'll also find our other show, The East Meets the West, in which we discuss Shaw Brothers movies and spaghetti westerns. If you want to let us know what you thought about today's episode or send us suggestions for future episodes, you can email us at thenisnow42 at gmail.com. You can join in on the discussion at facebook.com slash thenisnowpodcast and thenisnowpodcast and The East Meets the West are now on YouTube. So check us out there at youtube.com slash user slash UncleDeath1 and please subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's all the time we have today. Thank you for joining us. Have a Merry Christmas. Class dismissed. Thank you.